0: sure Get a
1: and
2: yeah apart. yeah uh, so let's go up to the semicolon so who by the appointment of the father freely took upon him our nature yet without sin honored the divine law by his personal obedience and by his death made a full and vicarious atonement for our sins The apostle or the one here?
0: I mean it can it can definitely be simplified, especially if we're looking at combining these three.
2: right So um, so here's some key ideas that I think we need to have in this section. If we're talking about the basis on which we are saved, the grounds of our salvation, it is the work of Christ. The work of Christ consists of a righteous life and a substitutionary death. I think we need those ideas that are essential to expressing that. Um, if you look at the next phrase, just to sort of tie in that idea, that his atonement consisted not in setting us an example by his death, but was the voluntary substitution. Um, <coughs> there's at least four, if not more, false ideas about the atonement in terms of one of the first ones would be what's listed here, that, that God just sort of set us an example in Christ of, of what sacrifice looks like. Another one is that... God was paying a ransom to Satan by sacrificing Christ. Another would be that, um I'm trying to think, there's at least two other ones. Uh, there's another one that's like the, I think it's called the, the moral influence. The moral influence one is kind of connected with that idea of here's what sacrifice is supposed to look like. The problem with all of these is that they, none of them really deal with the issue of sin. In other words, if you have a holy God who's offended against sin, something has to be done about that fact. And so it's not just a God arbitrarily sweeps it under the rug because Jesus decided to die. It's not just Jesus sets an example of what martyrdom looks like. It's none of those sorts of things. It's actually God is angry against sin, the death of Christ really and truly dealt with God's anger against sin and was a substitution for God's people. Um, so I would think that at least the first half of this we would want to summarize along the lines of the salvation of sinner is by grace through the work of Christ. Through I mean, we could say instead of work of Christ, we could say through the righteous life and death of Christ. And that might not be a bad place to stop the first sentence. <laughs> My only other thought on that would be, did we just do that in the section on sin? So if we've done that in the section on sin immediately before, and this is where I think reorganizing this will help, if we say it in the section on sin, um, and let me back up for a second. We have a sin nature, but if we back up and say to the part where we talk about Christ, Christ took upon himself a human nature, if we go into great detail in that section, I don't know that we need to go into great detail in this section because we've already said it in the other section. Potentially. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, so there's the 1 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. I think that's what you're getting at, right, Eric? And then there's the... Uh, Christ came in the flesh idea, which is what you're getting at, Jonathan. So depending on which one we're emphasizing, both are true, uh, but I would think what they're getting at when they originally wrote this was probably more the human nature, that took upon him flesh kind of idea. Um, Right, right, right. If we said something like sinners are saved by the righteous death, right, the righteous life and death of Christ. And then in the next sentence if we said something about Christ's death was... And again, these are these are bigger words, but I think they might be worth having in there. Christ's death was substitutionary atonement, or atonement was in the place of sinners. It's one of those two phrases to get at that idea, because I think, like in our discussion of creation, we can list off eight or ten false ideas about creation, or we can try to describe accurately what it is we believe about it, and then that would hopefully exclude them. So...
0: 'll get
2: the right and the more that we r- work through it, the more that I'm convinced that having something shorter and clear is probably better than having something really, really in depth because we're not trying to write a systematic theology. we are trying to say, here's what we believe. I don't think it has to be as short as the Apostles' Creed, but I also don't think it should be like probably twelve pages or anything either, so. Is there anything else that would be essential from the the later part of this paragraph that we need to keep or summarize in some way? I'll just read the rest of the paragraph and we can talk through it. That his atonement consisted not in setting us an example by his death as a martyr, but was the voluntary substitution of himself in the sinner's place, the just dying for the unjust, Christ the Lord burying our sins in his own body on the tree, that having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven. And uniting in his every way qualified to be a suitable, a compassionate, and an all sufficient Savior.
0: It seems like they're giving a broad overview, getting them so many different things, whereas if we have it separated justification, it's
1: probably more concise. Yeah.
2: I think an important thing that we should potentially emphasize would be the exaltation of Christ, but again, perhaps that would be something we would want to put back under, and I can't remember what we put in the section on Jesus. So I would say if we didn't put it in, then that would be one that we would want to put in there. So I'll just make a note along those lines here, because it wouldn't necessarily have to be here, other than we could simply say, Christ lived a perfect life, died a righteous, uh, substitutionary death, uh, was raised from the dead, and is exalted on high, something like that. And all this together is the basis of our salvation. But again, if we cover that in that other paragraph, we might not need to even go into that much depth here. I'm not sure that I, I feel like there's a word missing there, and maybe not, but I, I, I don't know. Is that is that your sense of it, or? I suppose it comes down to are we trying to argue for why Christ should be our savior which seems to be the intent of some of this paragraph or are we accepting that as a given and trying to say how is it that we can be saved which is I think probably more what we would on what basis are we saved and how does it happen. I'm scanning down through here. So, probably skip down the paragraph on the new birth. The last sentence says that its proper evidence appears in the holy fruit of repentance, faith, and newness of life. Okay.
0: So, the way it reads, if you look at the last sentence, starting with that had Mm hmm. Therefore, he is in every way qualified to be suitable to
2: be compassionate in all sufficient stages. So there's one line in there. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. Okay. I think I've got a copy of that downstairs, I just didn't have it with me at home, so. <laughs> I, I figure there's something going on and we could double check the original, so. I still think, like you said, that's, that's a really long phrase. And again, the question is, are we saying, why is Jesus qualified to be our Savior, which is really more the subject of the other paragraph? Or are we saying, what does Jesus' death have to do with us actually being saved, which I think is probably more what we want to get at in this section, right? So, so part of it would be a question of, I would think under the way of salvation, we would definitely want this idea of faith and repentance. And this is this is the complicated topic. And I know everybody's probably in a little bit different spot on this perspective. But um, let me just draw it up on the board, assuming I can get the markers to work. And so at the point of salvation, you have a bunch of things happening. You have faith, you have repentance. You have new life. You have adoption. You have um, uh, sealing of the spirit. You have, what's that? Yeah, baptism. You have justification. I would think faith and trust would be similar. I would probably put those two together. So one of the arguments that sometimes comes up in a systematic theology book is, what order do all these things happen in? Bearing in mind, we're talking about a immediate point in time, and then you talk about order for something that happens in an instant, it becomes very uh, complicated my take on it would simply be this if we're dead in our trespasses and sins which is what Romans 3 says there has to be some kind of a work of God before faith, trust, repentance is even possible and the two basic um, options that are given are either illumination or new life Illumination would be that God does some sort of work. Uh, People would appeal to the example of Lydia in Acts 16, and it says, the Lord opened her eyes so that she believes something along those lines. Yes?
1: So
0: it makes sense, under the way of salvation, just to explain one of those things. Just to say, I mean, okay. so starting off, Mm
2: In my mind, in this section, what we're doing is saying, what's the basis of salvation? What happens at salvation? How can someone be saved? So basis of salvation is Christ's righteous life and death. And that's where I think the idea of substitution is probably important. Um, and then, what was the second thing I said? Basis, the basis, the what
1: yeah
2: oh what happens
1: sure
2: sure yeah
0: What we're trying to
1: convey. It easier right. To out the word of the word.
2: My argument would be: I don't think that we need a separate paragraph on each one of these, and potentially we don't even need a sentence on each one of these. My thought would be: let's lift off a verse that defines all of these, and maybe just broadly under salvation. So, what's the basis of salvation? Jesus' righteous life and death. Possibly could also include there, his resurrection and his exaltation, which shows God accepted the sacrifice. We could go that far. What is the um, what happens at salvation? I think if we said what happens at salvation at the point at the moment of salvation, God. Sure, but maybe we could say it. God gives new life, adopts. Seals by the Spirit, baptizes us into the body of the church, justifies us—all um, those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I think, that would be- yeah, I, I think we, we could potentially list them, and then we would have to say maybe in the next sentence would be these take place as the sinner responds to God in faith and repentance, something like that. Because again, in my mind, I think all, if if we're saying what happens at this point in time? I think all of this happens as the work of God to which this is the outward response that we show that this is taking place. I know that there's some people that will say, like John 1, the light that enlightens every man has come into the world, and that means everybody has opportunity to believe, and the only obstacle is their free will, and none of this has to come first, and it's sort of in our, the ball's in our court. And I'm not sure that that fits with Romans 3 and how pervasively sin has affected our minds. That's just where I'm at on it. So, yeah, I mean, I think it probably we could put those, and maybe there would be one or two other words. But just say, have one phrase, one sentence that says these words. Then we do this. That would be the, and, and technically the faith and repentance would be the, um, that would be the way, the how. So the basis is Jesus' life and death. The what is life Adopt, justify, etc. The way is faith and repentance. And I think, I mean, probably one of my favorite verses on this, if you haven't figured it out by now, is 1 Thessalonians 1. They turned away from their idols. They turned to God to serve him, to wait for his son from heaven. I mean, I think that one really concisely, really helpfully sums it up. And I, there's other verses that we could include too, so all of this would sort of be under if we had to put a real quick heading would be something like the moment of salvation or the beginning of salvation or something like that and you know justification is a good word but the problem with justification is if we s- define it strictly it's really just one part of all those things that are happening
1: <laughs> right
2: Technically, I think we could combine these in one paragraph. Sinners are saved by grace on the basis of the life and death of Christ. At salvation, God does all of these things. We receive salvation by repentance and faith. I mean, it could be as simple as that. And we could sum up this whole page and we could elaborate a little more on that, but that would be the basic gist of it that I think would, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So let's go down to justification, see if there's anything that we think would be important to highlight from this paragraph. We believe the great gospel blessing which Jesus Christ secures to such as believe in him is justification. And this, this, of course, then goes back to that question of are we using justification as a Sort of a collection basket term for everything that happens at the point of salvation, or are we using it the strictest sense, which is God declares us righteous? Both are ways that it's been used in the past. I would lean toward the narrower instead of the broader definition Right Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. and then he says this justification includes the pardon of sin the promise of eternal life on principles of righteousness that it is bestowed not in consideration of any works of righteousness which we have done but solely through faith in the Redeemer's blood by virtue of which faith his perfect righteousness is imputed to us of God that it brings us into every other blessing needful for time and eternity
0: while all through
2: yeah I guess the only thing that I would have in my mind would be let's say someone is a Roman Catholic background and they want to come join the church and they read our paragraph and it doesn't say anything that excludes their understanding of the way of salvation again that would be my only hesitation of do we need to add any phrase in there that would be a clear And I think probably the best way to do that would be under the um, either the of grace or the repentance and faith. Maybe if we said something like um, as a gift, not cooperating with God, solely by grace,
0: something like that. That's going to be the end thing right there. Right. Right. They're going to say faith
2: plus work. Right. But the way that people arrive at that is sometimes not as straightforward as we might think. And so, either because someone hasn't necessarily listened to everything that's been taught in the Roman Catholic Church, or because they're trying to be potentially devious about it, I think we have to be wise in how we phrase that. So I think we'd want to put something of this paragraph of justification either under what's the basis, what God accomplishes, or the way in which we receive it, probably the way in which we receive it. Right, 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 right. And so, if I'm trying to trying to remember how to um, how to outline this accurately, so you have um, you have one idea which would be salvation is all of God. So, if we had a, a continuum here. Salvation is all of God is, I think, what we would be striving toward. Salvation is all of man would be, there was a guy named Pelagius who basically said, everybody has a spark of divinity, you can go good, you can go bad, either way, you just sort of go for it. Technically, Roman Catholicism is not here, it's more here, in that they would say, yes, you need the work of Christ, but there's some measure in which you fill up the, what's, You have to participate in your own salvation, maybe would be the simplest way to put it. So I just want to say that to clarify. If we come at it and say, well, you're saying you have to save yourself by good works, I don't think any Roman Catholic would actually agree that that's what they believe. What they would say is Christ's work is necessary. Eric. on the back. We'll get there. Okay.
1: right the the Sure.
2: And we could explain that better in the paragraph of sanctification. That's true. That would be good. Yeah. And that's probably where we can explain the difference. No, we got a lot of headings here in this section. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because technically the new birth is still also part of salvation. The The new birth?
1: Yeah, yeah. Right,
2: right. But I think it would make sense if we say, what's necessary in order for salvation to happen? What does God accomplish at salvation, which would be the new birth, which is what you're getting at? And then the, uh, the how does it take place in our lives, which then gets into justification and the way of salvation and all of that? Um, so let's look at the paragraph on the new birth then real quick. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be born again. Anybody know which passage that's coming from? What's that? Yeah. All of John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's saying you have to be born again. Nicodemus says that's just not going to work. And so Jesus explains it to him in more detail what he means by that. And I just to throw this out here... Um, I think that the language that we use to describe salvation is important in the sense that, I mean, when I was a kid, a lot of times the way I heard it talked about was, ask Jesus into your heart, you know, things like that. And while that's kind of a paraphrase of a verse, I think it's a lot clearer if we say things like, you need to be born again. You need to repent and trust in Jesus. I mean that's the language that we see pretty consistently throughout the New Testament. Yes.
0: So on my way home driving with David yesterday, I spent three hours four and car. Okay. i got to change my life. And so it was was so cool. And so for me, yeah, when somebody says, it it gives me cringe when I hear, just accept Christ. Or just uh, ask him into your heart. That stuff drives me mad. So there does have to be trust. There does have to be submission. And if it doesn't change your life, it's just superficial. It's just mental... So, again, I don't know how the best way to phrase that, but there definitely has to
1: be some clarification. I to a we are guilty. Right. those are very clear separation our who and the
2: yeah i mean that reminds me of uh we used to sing at the nursing home um from and i'm blinking on the title but it's got that phrase in the hymn where it says long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night thine eye diffused a quickening ray rose and i mean that's that's what's going on that's that's the imagery and we don't In the same way that we don't have any, um, we don't really have any imprecatory psalm hymns. (laughs) As a general rule, in our in our collection of songs in the church, we've also gotten away from that idea. I mean, for such a worm as I, nobody wants to say that anymore, you know. But it's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. James 2.19, I think, would get at the concern that we're talking about. It says, you believe in God, you do well, the demons also believe in shudder, which points out the fact that knowledge and even understanding of truth is insufficient without acting on it, without a transformed life. And so, I think that's, yes, yeah, Sandra? Yeah, for sure. I was having a hard time reading a clock. I was just looking to see what it said. Um, so if, uh, to sort of summarize all the things we've been talking about here, we need to talk about the fact that Jesus is the only way. And that would have to do with his righteous life and his substitutionary death. Or we could even say, simply say death in our place then we need to talk about um, what does God accomplish in salvation? God does all of these words that we're talking about up here. And then how do we receive the salvation that God offers? Through faith, through repentance. That, uh, And maybe in here would be helpful to talk about the idea of of um, maybe this idea of discipleship in the sense that sometimes, and there's been people that have drawn a very harsh line between what you do when you believe and what happens afterward, to the extent that they would say, you can go for years and years and years, and no one will know that you're a Christian, but as long as you've sort of checked the box and filled out the card, you're good. Right, but I mean, some of that is the two-stage view of sanctification. Some of it is people who are so emphatically concerned about introducing works into this whole discussion of salvation that they say, well, you don't even have to have any works. You don't have to know that there will be works, any of that sort of thing, because we don't want salvation to be only of grace. And while that's an admirable sentiment to say salvation is only of grace, I mean, if you read Paul, you read James, all of these, clearly you don't come into it with this idea that I just, I I sort of stay the same way that I am and everything's good. And so I think if there was some way, maybe some passages, and I'd encourage you guys to think about this, if there's some passages along the lines of uh, discipleship, following Jesus, something like that, that make it clear, maybe Mark 8, maybe Mark 8 Mm -hmm. would be a good uh, good one. Um, uh, Maybe turn there if you would. Uh, specifically, what I was thinking was at the end of the passage here. It says in Mark 8, starting in verse 34, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The tension for us is that because Christianity, at least in the past several hundred years, has been culturally accepted, we don't see a harsh divide between not following Christ and following Christ and so then we're just sort of like you know I don't and so then when we present the gospel we want to tone it down because we're concerned that we want to get people sort of in and then later on we can tell them and there may be some bumps along the road we don't want to say all that at the outset but I think if we stressed at the beginning following Christ is not easy but it is worth it at the beginning I think we'd have less people who profess Christianity and then fall away later on because they never really understood what Christianity was about and so I think that that again maybe a passage like that would be helpful to include in the how do we get saved we receive this gift of God not by cooperating with God but only by what Jesus has done we commit ourselves to follow God something along those lines Uh, I think would be helpful just to sort of stress some of those things because I think that's going to become more and more important in our world today because there's this increasing emphasis on tolerance and fitting in and all of those sorts of things, and that's going to be the tension for us. Even if it's not you're going to jail if you don't, it's the fact that if you're talking to somebody and you say, and God says this, they're like, you're a crazy person, you're a radical, I want nothing to do with you. That's the sort of tension I think initially we're going to face in the next couple of decades and so that's something that we've got to got to be willing to accept. So Right. right. Yeah,
1: Bruce.
2: I think that people sometimes get tired of the wishy-washiness of so many of the other perspectives on life that they encounter that sometimes that spurs them on to wonder whether Christianity could be true. I mean, think about the the, the Jews watch Jesus and the disciples. They say, here comes one who doesn't teach as the scribes and Pharisees. It could be this, it could be that, you know, but he speaks with authority. This is true. I think that there's a degree to which even when people don't accept or agree with us, there's a measure of respect for firm and confident belief in Christ. Or there's the possibility we talked about in Acts, that they completely reject it, because they don't want nothing to do with it. But there's I think there's a large group of people that are somewhere in the middle between accepting and rejecting, and there's a large group of those in the middle who are like, I don't agree with that, it's not for me. But there's at least a measure of respect, because it's not, you know all over the board on what we do or don't believe. I don't know if that gets at what you're, does that get at what you're asking?
1: Okay, but. Yeah. Yeah, sure.
0: you know, you, you share this information with me and it just fills my brain and da da da. da. He's like, you know, I need uh his stepson Michael, he's like, Michael needs to hear this and so and so he's like, but you know, uh, might have to take it slow with him because, you know, I said, dude, get him in church. Let yeah. him hear it. Let God do the work. Right. You can't figure out how is the best way to give the gospel to somebody. You get him there. And it's possible that your whole family could get saved it's the first time of in the, the Word of God. Right. God
1: does the work, not us. You right. can't input relativism or pragmatism into yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Right.
2: And if somebody understands the phrase, believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved, then that's all you need to tell them for them to trust Christ. If they don't understand what those words mean, maybe there's more background you've got to give them. So. And to be fair, there are things that both parties have done well or poorly and people who are in both parties who are not necessarily in it for some of those clear moral issues, but because of some of the economics and so forth. And, you know, we won't get into all that right now. So I think we just need to have grace toward one another and recognize that uh, it's not always as clear cut as we think it is. But on certain issues, things are very clear cut between what's being supported and what isn't. So Let's uh, close with a word of prayer, and then we will head into the service. Lord, as we consider salvation, we are thankful for it. We are grateful for what Christ has done to make salvation possible. We are amazed by all the things you accomplished at the moment of salvation. And we uh, uh, trust and pray that all of us here in our church gathering, as well as people that we would give the gospel to, would clearly follow you in repentance and faith, recognizing that it's a following, that's a 24-7 commitment, not just when I feel like it or on weekends kind of a thing, and just pray that you'd help us to follow you faithfully, and even as the passage we're going to look at later this morning, that we realize that there is true and there is a hypocritical sort of professing Christianity, and Lord, pray pray that ours would be true and genuine and, and honoring to you, in Christ's name, amen.